Jesus, we praise you in this place. Lord, we thank you today for your presence, the sense of your presence in this place. And Lord, where you are, there is peace. Where you are, there is joy. Where you are, there is salvation and healing and everything that's good. Lord, we thank you that as we remain in your presence together, Holy Spirit, walk among us. Comfort, heal, save, deliver, lead into truth. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. Because, Lord, it's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. That's what you said, Lord. And, Lord, we recognize that. Lord, we, we realize that it is by your Spirit that your life and your work goes forward in our lives. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give him thanks again in this place. You can be seated and let's thank our musicians too. Wasn't it fantastic seeing Andy lead that song? Oh man, I loved it. I was nearly crying and bawling with tears. Absolutely wonderful. And can I say, do you know what? Haley, Noel, they lead this team every week. And don't they do an absolutely fantastic job as leaders, as leaders. They're absolutely wonderful people, faithful people. And, you know, we should give thanks for our leaders. We really should because, you know, sometimes we don't, we don't understand some of the pressures and the stresses and even the opposition that they face because they're right out there at the forefront, leading God's people in praise and worship. So we should give thanks, whether that's Haley and Noel, Simon and Marcia, Carl and Karen, Tony and Lara, Dean and Michelle, Dave and Stella, Chi-Chi. Dave and... Stella. What did I say? Dave and Sarah, Dave and Stella, Prison Ministries. Dave and Sarah, man, I'm getting mixed up and my wife's telling me off already. Oy! Fantastic. But we should give thanks for our leaders. Don't criticize them. Don't gripe about them. Give thanks for them. Encourage them. And do you know what? They, because they're a great blessing to your life. Amen? Amen. They all said amen. Amen. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. Do you know, today I really believe that the Holy Spirit, again, wants to assure us very simply that God is not distant. God is not removed from our lives. That He's not in some faraway heavenly place from our needs and our concerns and the, the, the troubles that we sometimes face. Quite the opposite. The Bible tells us very, very clearly that, you know, He's near. He's up close and personal. He's involved. He's not distant. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews said about Jesus that He will never leave us. 
or forsake us. That's not a God that's removed and distant and far away. That's a God that walks with us down through time, walks with us down the journey of life, hand in hand, looking on us and with us, and is there in every situation that we face and every predicament that we find ourselves in. I believe this morning that the Holy Spirit, again, wants to make us aware of the fact that He's not far away from any one of us, but He's close. He's involved, and He wants to be there at every point of life that we face, not just in services like this, but on a Monday right through to Sunday. The Holy Spirit wants us to know that when we're not together, He's with us. He's close. He's there. In fact, David put it like this in Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. That's not a God that's removed. That's not a God that's distant. That's not a God that's far away from our trouble. That's a God that's up close and personal, that's immediate, that's ready to act. You know, when you go through trouble, sometimes it's easy to have a crowd around you that are your critics. It's easy to have a crowd of people around you that's just, you know, nodding their head back and forth, saying, well, we told you so. We knew that you'd arrive here. We knew that you'd, you'd, you'd end up in this mess. But God's not some passive observer on the sidelines of our lives just looking critically and condemning us. No, God is right in the middle of the trouble, right in the middle of any life situation that we face, ready to help. Oh, it's wonderful to know and to be confident in the fact that God is our helper. To walk down through life, to know every day that no matter what we face, there is a God in heaven that's not distant, that's not removed, that's not far away, but is there ready to help and assist us in living our lives. This morning, I want us to look at a chapter in the Bible. I'll just refer in and out of it, but maybe when you get home, it'd be good for you to read this chapter because it's an amazing chapter. It starts off really quite dark. It starts off really quite negative. It's a, it's a chapter that's, that's based in real hard reality, facts of life that are difficult sometimes to comprehend but real nonetheless. It'd be good for you to read it. The beginning is quite dark, like I say. You get to the middle and God's doing His thing. God's revealing who He is. God's announcing all of the wonderful attributes of His character. And then by the end of the chapter, it's no longer dark. It's no longer gloomy. It's no longer black and in despair. But because God's been involved in the lives that are spiraling downwards, now they're going up and soaring beyond where they could have ever gone in and of themselves. Isaiah chapter 40. Read this chapter. Very often, you know, we just read the end of the chapter, which is, which is incredible. Because it talks about running and not growing weary, walking and not growing faint, rising up as wings as of 
rising up with wings as of eagles. It's an incredible chapter. And God's all over it. But it's good. It's good to read the whole chapter. It really is because, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we get discouraged by the dark bits of the Bible. I don't get discouraged by the dark bits of the Bible anymore. I read them. I immerse myself in them because very often whenever there's a dark moment in somebody's life in the Bible, a few verses later you find God unfurling His strength, unfurling who He is, and delivering and saving and bringing forgiveness and hope and removing that life from destruction and placing it in a strong place. This chapter starts out very dark. It starts out with God's people in a terrible dilemma. Now, to give you some background history without going into detail, too much detail, God's people had made a series of terrible choices, and their choices had landed them in a place that was far, far away from God. They were in a real mess. They really were. You know, by nature, we are sinners. We are. By nature, we are sinners. But by nature, God's a Savior. He is. You know, the only contribution that we made to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary. By nature, we sin. But by nature, God is a Savior, and He redeems our lives from the destructive power of sin. Jesus on one occasion said, it's the devil that's come to steal, kill, and destroy, and use that power of sin that works in our nature against us. But then he said this, he said, I have come that you might have life, and life more abundantly. Isaiah chapter 40 is about people that were spiraling downwards in their sin, but it's also about God unfurling the power of His saving grace, loving His people, and giving them newness and abundance of life, removing them from the destructive power of their own choices, and bringing them into His purpose and into His plan for their lives. God is amazing. He's so loving. He's so wonderful. He's so gracious. God doesn't stand on the sidelines of our lives when we are going through traumatic times, through wrong decisions made. He does not stand on the sidelines of our lives criticizing us, condemning us, confronting us with the ugly realities and the ugly facts of life. No, he stands and he comes into, right into the center of any crisis with help. Let me read to you Isaiah chapter 40, just verse 1 and verse 2. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. This isn't a critic speaking. This isn't a God that's hard and cold and distant and removed from human need speaking. You see, there are some religions in our world that will tell you that God is very, very cold, that God is very, very angry. They have an idea and a picture of a God that is judgmental and ready to step on your life the moment that you go wrong. Isaiah chapter 40, God's Word tells us very clearly 
that that is not the case. God's not cold. God's not judgmental. It's not that He can't judge, but He's slow to anger, rich in mercy, full of great love. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. The Bible, the Word of God is teeming with wonderful promises, hundreds and thousands of promises that are directed your way and my way to give us comfort, help, strength, no matter what we go through, no matter what we face, no matter what surprises come our way. The Word of God is there to give us confidence so that we can rely on Him. Comfort, comfort. My people, says the Lord, your God, speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God doesn't come as a critic to these people. They were in a terrible mess, in a terrible dilemma, but He does not come as critic. He comes as comforter. He sees the mental anguish that these people are in. He sees the load of life that's on their back, and He gives them comfort. Have you ever been comforted by the Lord? Have you ever gone through a hard time, and you, you don't know where to turn, you don't know what to do, and you just feel an uneasiness inside, and you can't, it's so deep, it's dark, you can't even put words to it, you can't even describe it, you can't even give reason to it. You just don't know why it's there. But suddenly it comes like a blanket over your life, and you don't know what to do, where to go, and why it's there. God is the God of all comfort. The Bible tells us this, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Paul reveals this to a church, again, that's struggling with people in it that are going through all kinds of difficulties in life, the Corinthian church. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He's the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Oh, it's easy. It's easy to criticize somebody. Easy. Anybody can use their tongue to lash out a sentence and bring a condemning criticism. But it's another thing to actually come alongside a person and, and genuinely comfort them. To see into their life situation and what they're going through and feel the very tender mercies of God in your heart, awakening, causing you to go alongside a person. Please, don't criticize people in your heart. And I say that to myself as I do to you. I'm not pointing any fingers. Let's not criticize. Let's be known 
as a family that comforts one another. He's the God of all comfort, and with the comfort that you've received, let that comfort overflow to others and comfort them. Jesus, on one occasion, saw a huge mass of people coming toward him, and he said that they were like sheep without shepherd. He saw that the wolves of life had ravaged those people. And the Bible says he didn't criticize them. He didn't condemn them. He didn't get on his high moralistic horse and start pointing out the wrongs and rights of life and the way in which they should have gone. No, he was moved with compassion. His heart broke with inside him. And the Bible says that he had to, he just couldn't be a passive observer. He just had to jump into that human need, that sea of need before him. And before long, he was teaching them. Before long, he was healing them. And, and that compassion enabled him to do that. His heart broke with inside him. I tell you when, you, when you see people and when you love people and when you look through Jesus' eyes at people around you, whether it's people in this place or people outside, you won't have a critical word to say. Your heart will be broken. Your heart will be moved. Your heart will want to be involved in the life that's breaking apart before you to bring wholeness and health and blessing. Now, God is not a critical God. He's the God of all comfort, and we should follow His example. Isaiah 40 is about people that really had lost faith, lost trust, lost their way. They'd become faithless, faithless, and it had got them into a terrible mess. So, Isaiah the prophet, he was called, actually, uh, commenters call Isaiah, if you begin to read about his life, they sum his life up like this, the weeping prophet. They call him the weeping prophet because he was always crying. He was always crying because he could see the, the terrible plight and the trouble that people were in. He could see the end of their decisions and what they were going through. And this man was torn between extremes because whilst he could see the, 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 the trouble and, and the never-ending cycle of problems that people faced, he also knew the, 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 the wonderful plan that God had for those people that he was with. So he wept. He wept on one side seeing these people in a terrible mess, and on the other side he wept because it was one of his roles and one of his missions to get the people to go God's way and, into, and, and to enter into everything God had designed for them. The people were faithless. And this is what this chapter is about. And Isaiah begins to use this imagery. He begins to use illustration after illustration to represent where they were spiritually. He likened their life experience like a desert, a deserted place, an abandoned place, a place where there was no hope, where they were left out with no refreshment, no good expectation for the future. They were in like a desert-like existence. 
And the, this is the imagery that this prophet used to represent the experience that the people were going through because they had made choice after choice after choice that was so wrong. Then he said that he used another picture that became a landmark to outline where they were spiritually. He said they were like in a valley type experience. A valley, a dead-end valley, a dark place, a deep place, and they couldn't see any way out. Then he said that there was mountains, mountains before them, mountain after mountain opposing them that they could not get beyond. And this kind of imagery spoke about the impossibilities that God's people faced because they were faithless. They had no hope. They had no help. They were helpless. And it seemed as if they were abandoned. And he talked about a crooked path, a rough place. So he, at the outset of this chapter, and this is why we don't read the beginning of Isaiah chapter 40 very often, because it's so bleak, because it's so dark. At the outset, he sets out exactly the condition that the people were in. But then suddenly, God's arriving on the scene. He's comforting them. He's wanting to bring them into everything that He has planned for them. So He says, into the, into the desert place comes a highway. God creates a, a highway right in that dead-end place where nothing can grow, where nothing can live, where they feel abandoned and dejected. Suddenly, he says, prepare a highway. A highway is coming out of this place where you find yourself in this desert. God is going to bring a highway so you can come on out of where you are. And then he talks about the valley being leveled. He talks about the mountain of, of obstruction being removed from their experience. And then he talks about the crooked places, the crooked path being made straight, and the rough road being made smooth. Do you know, you know when you're on a crooked path? You know when you're on a rough road, when easy things become terribly hard. When the simplest decisions are labored with and you don't know what to do, that's a crooked path. That's a rough road. But God says, I will make that road smooth. I will make that crooked place straight. You see, whenever God comes into a situation, whenever God comes into the chaos of life, there's correction, there's abundance, there's blessing, and He he restores and redeems and saves us from the predicaments that we find ourselves in. This was the situation of these, these men and women. Romans 5 verse 20, we referred to it last week. Paul, talking again to the church, revealed something about the law, but also revealed something wonderful about the grace of God. He says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Isaiah chapter 40, you see people, and sin is abounding. Sin is something that's so aggressive, so destructive, so dangerous. 
and it wants to captivate our lives. It wants to destroy our lives. It wants to ravage our lives. But the wonderful thing is, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Sin was abounding in Isaiah chapter 40. They'd become a wilderness, a deserted place. Their lives had become like a valley experience. Their road on which they were traveling had no purpose. There was no destiny. There was no expectation for the future because it was crooked and it wasn't smooth. It was rough. It was hard. And yet God comes into it. Sin was abounding in all of those expressions that that Isaiah used, but suddenly God comes into it and grace starts to abound. Grace starts to abound. You move down through the chapter and you see God talking about his character. They've been worshiping idols, effigies in their, in their little dwellings, wooden gods carved out by their own hands and they were praying for deliverance and prosperity with these little idols in, in their rooms. And that is what had led them to the, to the plight that they were in. And then God begins to unfurl his character. And he begins to say things like, I don't sleep. I don't slumber. I wade out the weight of the world in the palm of my hand. He begins to disclose incredible things about his ability, about his character, about his nature. And it's not to be boastful or arrogant. God is just revealing who he is because he wants to restore his people to himself. And he wants to show them that he's willing to help them, that he's not removed from their lives. Right in the middle of this chapter, we see exactly how involved God is. Verse 11 says this, He will feed His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with His arm and carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Even though these people had abandoned God, even though these people had become faithless, God hadn't abandoned them. You know, there's a scripture in Timothy where it says, when we are faithless, God is faithful. God is faithful. Read the chapter, Isaiah 40, and you'll see people at their worst, but God at His best people being faithless, God being faithful. How many times have we gone through those seasons where we feel faithless, where we just struggle to lift a hand, where we struggle to really engage and sing with joy from our heart, faithless seasons. And it's okay. They're normal places and periods in our lives. God says, don't concern yourself about when you're faithless because I'm faithful. Don't be critical about your life. Don't condemn yourself or let others condemn you because I'm the comforter. 
and I'll bring you to where you need to be in me. Faithful, I remember on one occasion. And I was probably tapping myself on the back. I was in the kitchen. I said, I was in the kitchen cooking, James. And if you believe that, you believe anything. But I remember, you know, one occasion saying to God, I, and I did mean it genuinely, I love following you, God. I love following you. Have you ever said that? And genuinely, I did mean it. But I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, he said, Dave, that's good. He said, but if you ever stop following me, I'll start following you. You see, if we ever stop following him, he's not just going to walk on and abandon us and leave us where we, t we take our spot. No, he starts following us. He starts following us. We, start, we, st we stop following him. He starts following us. And there's plenty of scripture for it. You see, where sin abounds, grace, all the more abounds. It super abounds. And he comes after us. When we are faithless, he is still faithful. These people have stopped following God. They'd stopped following him. Didn't want anything to do with him. They thought they were abandoned by God. They were in a real mess. So God was following up on them. God was showing them that he wasn't going to leave them, that this wasn't the end of the road, that he wasn't going to sit down and condemn them. He runs into the scene. He runs into the emergency and he runs into the crisis and he comforts them. And then after he's comforted them, he begins to supernaturally correct the conditions that they were facing. There's a highway out of a wilderness. There's, there's the leveling of valley experience. There's the removal of mountain after mountain after mountain that had been obstructing them. He turns the crooked places straight, the rough paths smooth. There's a supernatural act of God. And I'm telling you now, the Christian life is a supernatural experience. It's where youth get assistance from God, help from God. He becomes your refuge and your strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. I'm telling you, the life of Christ that we get in Him is beyond explanation, beyond measure. It really is. He helps us. And here... In this scripture, he's coming to them again as wandering sheep, but he's tenderly taking them up in his arms. I'm going to ask the, the musicians to come. Thank you, James. It's because it's ending. Yeah. <laughs> what it is, look, I, I know you little tinkers. It's because we're having butter chicken, isn't it? Hey, it's because we're having butter chicken. I can smell that butter chicken. That's why I'm closing it quick. No, only joking. Only joking. Who's staying for butter chicken? Yeah, fantastic. Awesome. Right at the beginning of, the, of Isaiah chapter 40, you see people in a terrible condition. And without God... In the picture, 
without the Lord's gracious, loving nature and compassion, they would have just been left like in their wilderness condition. They would have just been left in their valley experience. They would have just been left with unscalable mountains, always towering under the shadow, always being towered by the shadow of impossibility. They would have had no help, no hope, no future. They would have just walked on a crooked road, a, a, a rough path, if God had stayed out of the picture of their lives. But God jumps in. He reveals His character. There's supernatural change. And, and, and wonderful things begin to happen. Do they deserve it? No. They're sinners by nature, but God is a Savior by nature. He loves to make the weak strong. He loves to do it. He loves to give beauty where there's ash. And there's ash all over the place. In this chapter, because of wrong decision after wrong decision after wrong decision, but God is good and gracious. By the end of the chapter, he talks about those who with new expectation and hope now, those who are waiting with bated breath, ready to receive what God has for them. He talks about those who are waiting on Him. Isaiah 40, verse 31. He says, Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew. yee Come on, Helen. Come on, Helen. Shall renew their strength. Give me another one, Helen. Yee-hoo! Let me tell you, let me tell you something about Helen. Let me tell you something about Helen. Do you know, years ago now, Helen lost her son, right? And it was a very tragic experience. You know, that lady could have just closed down. That lady could have just shook her fist at God. That lady could have just got angry and walked out of church. But you know, instead, instead, she waited on the Lord. She lost her son. Her son died. And we watched her, many of us, go through that experience. She waited on the Lord. And you know, her strength was renewed. There has always been a laugh in her mouth, joy in her heart. The Lord, I'm telling you, the Lord turned her desert into a, into, into a blessed place. He put a highway in there. He took her out of it. He, he leveled the valleys, Helen, didn't he? He removed the mountains. He made the crooked path straight, the rough place smooth. And that lady has gone from strength to strength to strength. She's renewed her strength. Renewed her strength. It's wonderful. And many of us, many of us, many of us could look back today and see just, wow, I don't know how I got through that, but I'm stronger coming out of it than when I went into it. 
It should have brought me down. It should have taken me out. But somehow, I've gone through it. And I'm all the better for it. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. The end of the chapter, these people, because God had jumped into the picture, because God had poured out himself again in goodness and blessing on their lives, these people now were soaring above the desert that they'd formerly lived in, soaring above the mountains that had obstructed them, looking now down from an elevated position in life at the crooked path and the rough road that they'd once had to walk on, now soaring. Again, Isaiah's using real powerful imagery to represent the spiritual health, the spiritual life of God's people when God is at the center. Simple message today, God's not distant. God's not removed. God's up close, personal, and near. Not as your critic. Not as your condemner. No matter where you are today, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what your background is, no matter what the past is rising up and saying to you, I'm telling you now, God is for you. He's not against you. Paul says, what should we say concerning these things? What things was he talking about? All the hard knocks of life, a past that rises up like an enemy and stalks you and says all of this stuff about you, trying to keep you out of your future. He says, what should we say to all of these things that's coming at us from the left, the right, and around us? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. God is for you. No matter what you've been through, no matter what people have said about you, God is for you, church. Whether you're a young person here, whether you're an older person here, no matter what voice you've heard condemning you and criticizing you, listen to this voice, the voice of God's Word in Romans chapter 8. If God is for you, who can be against you? He's for you. He's for you. And never stop believing that. Amen. Amen.